Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Data Points podcast. Focused on the importance of data in a 21st century world, we discuss data-centric topics such as fundamentals of data management and use, strategies for building buy-in within organizations, the crucial role that communities play in this important work, and so much more. So who am I? My name is Jen Horton, and I'm a senior advisor at the Center for Government Excellence at Johns Hopkins University. In this role, I provide cities and counties and their partners with coaching, training, and resources to support their management of data and information to support their specific economic mobility efforts. So this includes many policy areas, such as supporting youth with jobs and skills development, homelessness efforts, affordable housing, and infusing race equity considerations into government operations and planning efforts. Today, we're specifically taking a look at a technical assistance project that is very near and dear to my heart, that I had the privilege to work on throughout all of 2020 and most of 2021, the Lansing Save Initiative. So quickly, a background for those who haven't heard about the Lansing Save Initiative. Launched in 2015, Lansing Save is a child savings account program that enrolls all Lansing, Michigan school district kindergarten students into a post-secondary savings account. The program is designed to help increase post-secondary completion and offer students financial education training throughout their entire K-12 experience. It is also the state of Michigan's largest children's savings account program. So Lansing Save is unique as it draws together community partners from multiple sectors, including the public sector, so local government, which is the city of Lansing, education, which is the Lansing School District, banking and finance, so the Michigan State University Federal Credit Union, and nonprofit partners like Capital Area United Way. So back in 2020, GovEx was asked to support Lansing Save with developing an entire performance management program for the initiative to track their goals. As of August 2021, so a couple months ago, we officially celebrated the one-year anniversary of the Lansing Save performance management team. So today, we thought we'd do a recap of our work together that can be applied to any cross-partner initiative with a bold goal and vision for providing lasting impact to communities. So without further ado, I wanna welcome our esteemed podcast guests. We're joined today by Amber Paxton, the Director of the Office of Financial Empowerment at the City of Lansing, Brian Rakovitas, who's the Manager of Financial Empowerment Initiatives at the Community Economic Development Association of Michigan, and Aaron Thiemann, who is a Senior Program Manager at Prosperity Now. Thank you all so much for being here today. And I'd love to just turn it over to Amber to just give a quick background on your role with the Lansing Save Performance Management Team, and then we'll pass it over to the rest of the team for introductions. Thanks so much, Amber. Thanks, Jen. Um, Well, as Jen said, I'm Amber Paxton. I am with the City of Lansing's Office of Financial Empowerment, which is part of our Department of Neighborhoods and Citizen Engagement. 
And we began our Office of uh, Financial Empowerment in January of 2013. I was its first director and have been there since. And we started with just one program, which offered free one-on-one financial counseling to our residents. That program is the Financial Empowerment Center. And that was in 2013. In 2015, we added Lansing Save, the program Jen was speaking of. And since then, have added two more programs, one for Banking the Unbanked and another for Wraparound Services for Returning Citizens. Thanks so much, Amber, and welcome. Next, I'll turn it over to you, Brian. Thanks, Jen. Um, So as you said, I'm the Manager of Financial Empowerment Initiatives at the Community Economic Development Association of Michigan, CEDEM for short. Uh, So my role at at CEDEM is actually to oversee the Michigan uh, Children's Savings Account Network. Um, This is a learning and advocacy collaborative group that promotes CSA expansion within the state of Michigan. And so as part of that role, I, uh, I work with wonderful partners like Amber and her team, as well as uh, one of the, some of the other 15 CSA programs in Michigan to provide technical support to both current and emerging CSA programs. Thanks so much, Brian, for being here. Next, I'll turn it over to you, Erin. Thanks, Jen. It's great to be here today. So I'm Erin Thiemann. I am with Prosperity Now, and we are a national organization that helps support the Children's Savings Account or CSA field. We provide technical assistance and lift up promising practices, and we are lucky to count Amber and Brian as great research and thought partners in this work. Thanks so much, Erin. So why did we even want to build out a performance management system for Lansing Save in the first place? Let's start with performance management fundamentals here. So measuring the performance of a program or initiative can both help identify areas that need improvement and determine whether whether the program is achieving its goals and objectives. So you need that apparatus to monitor and report on progress and accomplishments by using a suite of selected performance measures. In the case of the Lansing Save Initiative, program partners set a bold goal of increasing the number of working age Lansing adults with a skill certificate or college degree to 60% by 2030. Amber, I wanna pause here and ask you to reflect on something you often say. It's the first dollar that matters. And that is why children's savings accounts are so important. Thanks, Jen. All the credit for this, for these statements goes to Dr. Willie Elliott, who is now at University of Michigan here, um, who did this research very early on that said that low to moderate income students with between $1 and $500 in a savings account that was earmarked for education in their name and that they know about were three times more likely to attend post-secondary education of some kind and four times more likely to complete. And when we heard that that research, that is what made us decide to to launch Lansing Save in the first place. This idea of identity-based motivation, that that just by putting the first dollar in the account and making sure the student knows about it, but especially because we're telling them about it in kindergarten and we have 12 or 13 years to build this identity with them. Um, it really has a huge impact on the road, and it's not about the balance in the accounts. I I just wanted to elevate that Amber because it, you know, it's it's one thing to set a very bold goal. It's another thing to back it by research, 
and expertise in the field. Um, but the Lansing Save Initiative also had other goals they wanted to track progress toward related to participation, outreach, promotion, and establishing incentives in the program. So to track these ambitious goals, we needed to, first of all, unlock their existing data, regularly convene all of the partners in the initiative, and support the alignment and buy-in on how to track and analyze their progress. You'll hear more here, but we did this by assembling what we called the Lansing Save Performance Management Team. So that team was tasked with developing these goals, key performance indicators, targets, and baselines for all of the initiative's strategic objectives. Then a really critical part of this work was establishing a finely tuned performance management meeting and tracking structure so that all partners were bought in, aligned, and had no surprises along the way. So let's dive in here, team, by reflecting on the heavy lifts in our work together. The elephant in the room here is that we started in January 2020 before we knew a global pandemic was staring us down, but I want to open it up here for the team to think back and really focus on the heavy lifts in this work because I really do not want any of our listeners to assume this work is easy. It's manageable, but it's not easy and it's never perfect. Um, so just going to open it up for anyone to kind of start reflecting on those heavy lifts to begin with. I'll start with how we were tracking the data before we did this. Everything was in a spreadsheet. And what I mean by that is we had data from the credit union on all of the accounts, and we had data from the school district on all of the students. But in order to bring that data together, um, the data sharing agreement that we had meant that it was done um, by the city. And when we were we were doing that in spreadsheets, and when we started with 500 students, that was not a big problem, but now we have 8,000 and it's only going to get bigger and bigger every year. Um, we will eventually max out at 12,000 students in our, in our school district. And so when we looked at, you know, first, the first thing that we were looking at was like, in order to be better at performance management, we're going to have to be better at the systems that are in place to do that. And, and one of the things that we learned early on is we were attempting to build this system, which um, I think even to this day, there's still some debate over it, is just kind of the shared definitions that we use to describe um, what we mean by everything from what is considered an active account or active student to, you know, what is the definition of, of participation? And so when we approached this problem and as we were building our, our, our performance indicators and our, our definitions, we realized that we were not all aligned on this. Now, let's not forget the fact that we were doing this over the phone um, so that there was uh, just, uh, just generally the barrier of not being able to see each other face to face added to that. But, but, you know, really, it, it took time uh, to sit down and, and think about what we meant by the words that we were using. And, and by doing that, we were able to reach some common um, understandings or common definitions. And, and mind you, you know, the, for the rest of the CSA field, they're, they're having the same debate as well at the same time. So there's not, you know, between programs, between and then just between organizations, we're, we're trying to figure out what we mean uh, by, you know, the words that we're using, which is always quite interesting. 
And just to add on to that lack of shared definition, so while the performance management team at Lansing was trying to come to alignment on what these shared definitions look like to measure this data, the CSA field has been stumbling a bit in the dark where every program, um, because there's not a national consensus about what to track, how to track, and what to call these things, um, what was happening in Lansing was sort of a microcosm of the CSA field. Um, so it's really been a process that's having parallel development across these programs. So we're excited to share what Lansing has learned in this process with the rest of the field because they're definitely hungry for um, support in data management. Um, and I'll just add there that it's a 13-year time horizon from the time we enroll them in kindergarten into their children's savings account and when they graduate. And if we wait until graduation, if we were going to wait until graduation to, to measure the impact, um, that means putting 13 years of work in from five or six different partners before we know if what we're doing works. And so it might seem very very elementary, but we knew that we needed to have some check-in points with these students to look at, are they engaging with the account? Do, do they see the value of it? Is it impacting their motivation? Um, is it changing the way their parents think about the, the affordability of post-secondary education? And so it just became important to us to start measuring right away rather than wait to see what happens post-graduation. Thanks to everyone on just kind of reflecting on your heavy lifts here. Um, you know, you've, you've elevated a lot of pieces. I mean, you had multiple partners at the table, getting them bought in. Um, you didn't have that access to quality data or the infrastructure. We're navigating the pandemic, um, really focusing on a program with a long horizon and really trying to bake the performance metrics into to make sure that they're research-based. So really appreciate you all kind of going through those heavy lifts. Um, kind of a similar question, but a bit of a, a, a different shift here. So what advice would you give to folks attempting to do this important work? I'll start by saying um, at the city level, that by partnering with folks like Brian at the state level and with folks like Aaron at the national level, we created basically a nesting doll situation. And it's a there's a feedback loop happening about what are the best practices in the state, what are the best practices in the country. Um, and so having them as partners at this table was really, really important as well. For one, the, the field is deciding what its metrics are in real time. And so if we are doing our work in a silo and not communicating it out to the other CSA programs, um, then we then we risk you know, losing that, that synergy and we risk doing things multiple times that could be done once collaboratively. And, and you know, I think it's important to state that um, there was a high level of trust amongst the partners going into this, uh, into this initiative. Um, you know, this wasn't the first time as a group that we have come together to to work on on kind of this collective action uh, problem. And what was really nice, and, and what I really appreciated from from the city's perspective, was that they gave us the space to be creative, to work with us. It never felt like there was any sort of like top down approach to what we were attempting to achieve. I, I really do believe that we built this in partnership. And so, I, I what was nice is that 
folks felt bought in. They, they felt like they had a sense of ownership. And if there wasn't that trust and there wasn't that, that mutual respect that already existed, I think this would have been a much harder uh, project to sell, um, only because at some point, you know, we all had the opportunity to provide opinions and to provide, uh, you know, uh, just sort of the, what we thought were best practices. And again, as Amber said, you know, the field is building this as, as we go. So it, it's not, it's not a done deal. It's not a for sure thing. So we were taking some, some educated guesses. And because of that, we do put ourselves in a position of risk. So having that trust in our partners that we can, we can fall back on them and rely on them made it, uh, made it possible for us to, to buy in. I agree with Brian, and we made that buy-in formal with a data sharing agreement that started very early on. And I will tell you that, um, luckily, you know, as a city government, we have city attorneys who help craft such things. But our data sharing agreement, when this program launched in 2015, was signed by the school district, the credit union, and the city for 49 years. It's a 49-year agreement. And so we really had that long-term commitment from all partners from the beginning. And I think that's really um, important to note. And I, and I will say, um, just adding on to that, the importance of that data sharing agreement, uh, that that agreement that they crafted at, in Lansing was definitely ahead of its time, because you'll see, if you look at the data sharing agreements throughout uh, the, the other programs within Michigan, that language comes up time and time again. And so it's really positioned us in, in, a, in a place that that these uh, metrics can be transmitted to other programs because there is the existing structures that we can build on, which was uh, a very forward-thinking uh, uh, opportunity that the city took there. Yeah, so I'm hearing a few things here um, around advice. So really good data sharing agreements. That's tough when you have multiple partners, but really trying to get those in place is key here. Um, also, just being very clear about the dedicated time, space, and support that each partner would provide and, and just being open, honest, transparent. Um, I love, Brian, what you were saying is not being too afraid or risk averse in this type of work. So willing to be bold, get a little out front of where you're at. And be willing to kind of learn as you go, since now the Lansing Save Initiative and the metrics you all have created are a national best practice. But we never knew that going into this work, right? It took us almost two years to get here, um, but it was because we were willing to take some chances while also building that trust um, that you all have all mentioned. Okay, so let's get a little off the cuff here. What didn't go according to plan? One of the things that did not go according to plan was, of course, COVID. And, and Jen mentioned that earlier, but we had set up a data sharing system that depended on an external secure server that no one could get to working from home. And that was a fascinating thing. And I will tell you that it, it, it was very frightening to have set up this whole system and structure and we could still meet virtually, but we could not compile the data virtually. And there was a quarter of the data that we missed. We were able to go back and recreate it, but you know, you get this momentum going and then you realize that if you miss a reporting period, uh, you have to, you have to leave yourself in a way to go back and recreate that data for later. And so it, it's going to seem like such an in the weeds thing to say, but like making sure that you change the, the name of the uploaded file each month so it doesn't get overwritten. I mean, that's a, a simple little thing, but you can actually lose, you know, three months worth of data that way if you're not careful. 
And so, um, you know, COVID threw so many different wrenches in the works that we may or may not have been exchanging data on on flash drives. Um, but we made it work and we got through it. And now things are a little bit more normal. Thanks, Amber, for being so candid. Um, yeah, navigating the pandemic, there are so many lessons learned that we all have. Um, and I assumed we'd all be together for a lot of this work. And we've never been together in the same room. Um, so just thank you so much for, for being so resilient during this time uh, all together in this technical assistance. So looking back, what would you all have done differently? You know, I, I would say looking at um, some of the metrics that we had created, um, you know, there was a there was probably an even balance between focusing on the student and focusing on the parent. And so when we were thinking about strategies, I mean, just even setting COVID aside, um, engagement with a parent is is intensely difficult. It is resource intensive. Um, I think probably if we had looked back and looked at the limited resources that we had, we maybe probably wanted to focus more on the child and the impact of the child. That being said, you know, there it, it is important that we are our family focused uh, because ultimately when, when this program is, when, is starting out, um, whether you're starting at birth or kindergarten, the child is highly dependent on the parent uh, for many of the activities associated with the CSA. Um, you know, they're, that's where they're getting their allowance unless they're like going between couch cushions and digging out coins. Uh, it's the parent who's going to be providing that. It's the parent who's going to be signaling the importance. Um, but because it's a it's a limited resource program and and we are taking a universal approach to it, but we are ultimately, you know, we're most concerned with our low income students, um, you know, probably having gone back, I would have said, let's focus more on the students. Let's let's focus on what we can do in the classroom um, as opposed to what we're doing for the full population, especially for this first round. I second all of that, all of what Brian said. And, and also, you know, I um, there's an ability to look back and laugh on ourselves a little bit for what we thought we could measure, but I don't, I wouldn't do it differently. I think um, reaching for the stars is okay in this work. It's just that the, the work will make itself realistic over time. Um, some of our KPIs were, or our key performance indicators were way too specific. Um, we knew that we wanted we wanted to improve student and family engagement, but some of the uh, KPIs that we set around that were really, really specific. And of course, with COVID, they were also in person. You know, they also required those folks to do something in person, show up to a branch, come to an event, um, make a deposit at the branch. And there was no in-person in 2020. Um, and so some of those things, you know, couldn't have been avoided that that we had to look at them so differently, but uh, we learned a lot about being flexible in what you set. And one thing to add on that too, um, as the team was developing their KPIs, there really is no national standard for what to measure. Um, and Amber, of course, mentioned the research at, at the top of the show talking about um, the impact of having college savings, um, but that's a really long-term outcome. And as a field, we don't have research that tells us what's in that black box between opening the account and going to college. And so there's a lot of really creative work around 
around measurement, around tracking engagement, which can be this squishy in-person qualitative aspect um, where Lansing and every other program across the CSA field is trying to figure out what's the secret sauce and what's the balance between having in-person events, doing things with the credit union, doing things in the classroom. And so there's a lot to try to figure out how to measure. Um, and so there is a lot to try to figure out what is making these long-term and short-term impacts and how do you balance that with some of the resource constraints that Brian mentioned. Yeah, and, and really to follow up on that, um, COVID uh, obviously was was very devastating for the, the kind of the general flow and operations of this program. But there, there actually was a silver lining in, in all of this um, because we did transition to um, uh, virtual financial education. Amber's team, uh, or well, the MSUFCU's team that goes in and does the financial education in the classroom was able to do this, I believe, monthly um, and engage with the students more frequently than they would have um, if this was in person. And then also too, there was normally we, the Lansing Save folks do a, uh, the Lansing Save Night, which is a celebration. Um, it had to be virtual as opposed to in person. But what that, that ultimately led to was probably one of the most engaged question and answer, uh, sessions between parents and officials about the program, um, which, which you could just tell that parents were, were fired up about this. They cared about this program. And of course, I think the result, the, the results speak for themselves when you see the average account balances had increased by about, I believe, uh, and Amber, correct me, about $4 um, on average. So that was, was very, very exciting. So despite the pandemic, you all, despite not being able to be in person during these Lansing Save nights and other incentive nights, not being able to have teachers in the classroom plugging it, not having students in the classroom talking about it, you all were able to increase account balances by $4. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but I remember that number coming in and thinking, wow, this team was so dedicated, so focused on getting this partnership off the ground that they did everything they could from their homes uh, to, to, to see gains and increases in this work. Um, I really appreciate all of those reflections and lessons learned team. I want to spend some time on talking, especially since we have the local context here, the state context and the national context. So let's talk about what's next. How do you plan to continue? Let's start with Amber, um, specific to the performance management team and, and what's coming next for the team um, after us doing, you know, some revision of our goals and metrics back in August. Um, what's, co what's coming up uh, for the next year? Well, we were so lucky to have Jen's help again um, virtually. We did, a, we did an in-person meeting here um, at our city location that Jen um, led us from, from afar. And uh, we were able to refine our goals, get rid of some of those that were too specific and replace them with ones that were a little more general and, um, and do some work around what we thought was, was really good to capture. And some of the things that seemed important a year ago and maybe were less important today. Um, so we will continue as we're doing. Uh, Jen has set us up with such a fantastic structure. We'll continue to meet quarterly. We, can, we will continue to rotate our roles, which we've been doing um, as taught by Jen. Uh, so our roles in this meeting are there's, there's someone who 
collects and analyzes the data that quarter, someone who hosts the meeting, sends out the agenda, facilitates, someone who takes minutes, someone who presents the data. There's a pre-meeting memo that goes out and asks for questions for discussion. And then there's a post-meeting memo. And so each of those things are divided up. We don't have to have one entity doing all of them every time, which is so nice that each of us gets our own little piece. We'll continue to do that, dividing up the roles, meeting quarterly, refining our goals as we go, sharing them out with the public. Um, so it's really do, do a lot more of what we've been doing and tweak it as we go. Thanks, Amber. And just congratulations to a successful performance management team. Um, I know you've done a lot of heavy lifting over the past year, but now you have a well-oiled machine of all partners bought in. Um, and we're just so excited to keep tracking the success of, of the team. Brian, what about you at the, at the state level? Uh, I know you wear a couple of hats because you've supported the local team so much, but what's on the horizon for you at CEDAM in this work? Yeah, this is uh, uh, honestly a very interesting time for CSAs in Michigan. Um, you know, just even looking back uh, since 2017, we've gone through sort of the largest uh, community-wide expansion. We had um, just three programs in Michigan in 2017, and now we're up to 15. Um, and this this performance ma uh, management uh, process has really taught us the importance uh, of of impact analysis and using data to share our story. Um, and so one of the things that we instituted in the last two years was statewide impact metrics uh, to, to manage, uh, to, to track the growth of CSAs. And so, um, you know, and that has really attracted awareness of this field so much so that in fact, the governor's office had um, as part of an initiative there, we, she's, uh, Governor Whitmer had authorized the creation of a of the poverty task force, which was a study of, of recommendations to look to alleviate poverty in Michigan. And of one of those 35 recommendations, CSAs were included as a wealth building and post-secondary achievement strategy, which was very, very exciting. Um, and then not more than a year later, uh, the the, the governor's office once again through uh, through the executive budget uh, recommended two million dollars in fundings for for CSAs, and in this last round of budget conference, it was included. So there's there's this actual funding now a funding stream from the state to support CSA expansion um, and program development, which is very very exciting. Um, and so now what we can do is actually take this what we've learned here um, with the city of Lansing and export it to programs within the state of Michigan. So adding to this real proof of concept opportunity here um, that's going to go ahead and, 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 and done correctly will sort of fuel our ability to continue to advocate for resources for the field um, and then hopefully be able to move ourselves up um, to supporting uh, national partners as well. Brian, I, I just want to say here to our listeners, um, I can see the faces of all of our, our podcast participants and they're celebrating because not only is the governor putting um, focus on the policy area of CSAs, but is also thinking about funding streams and mechanisms for funding this work in the long-term. So just seeing you all celebratory, it's a huge win. It's so exciting. And I know that a lot of the work that you, Brian, are doing at the state level, and then of course, all of the incredible work that Amber is doing um, at the local level has really emphasized the importance of this work um, at the state level. So Aaron, moving to you, you know, Prosperity Now does incredible work amplifying these incredible case studies, 
resources, data, support. Um, what do you see as 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 how you're going to collaborate, continue collaborating with the state of Michigan, Lansing Save um, to keep amplifying and supporting this work? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'll say is that um, having this proof of concept of taking on this performance management process is really helpful because as we know, um, most CSA programs and a lot of wealth building initiatives are extremely under-resourced and understaffed. So being able to share with the field, not just the outcome and sharing the KPIs and goals as best practices, but also being able to share about the process is really helpful for other CSA programs to get a sense of, can we take this on? Do we have partners at the table to do this? Do we have data? Those sorts of questions. So it's helpful not just to see where you guys landed, but how you got there. So that's work that we'll continue to do on our end to lift up um, what's been going on in Lansing and Michigan. Um, and separately, we have been working with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFP on a set of common metrics for the CSA field um, that focuses more on potential um, performance metrics. So we're not trying to be so prescriptive as to identify KPIs that should be happening at the community and program level. But what we've put out are some guidance of what metrics might make sense for your program based on the how your program operates and what data you have. Um, so we've now piloted that with four CSA programs across the country from um, community-based programs to statewide programs at birth to kindergarten, really trying to kick the tires on these metrics across the top, a lot of different types of programs. So we'll continue to be invested in this space of data management and performance metrics. And as you just heard from Brian, um, the CSA field has come a long way in the last 10 years. And what we've seen now is um, less effort in trying to gin up support and um, trying to launch more CSA programs. That interest is happening organically more and more. There's been a huge proliferation of more programs across the country. And so where we get to spend more time at the national level is shifting from helping programs launch to helping programs think about impact. And so the work that Amber and Brian and their team are doing is a great example of kind of the maturity of this field or this type of initiative and um, not just getting something started, but thinking about how we can do it better and how we know that we are doing it better, which is why it's really great to have good data sharing agreements. Um, so can't recommend that enough. Erin, thank you so much. It just, it, you're right. The evolution of the CSA field being so focused on being data informed, results-based, it, it's huge. And then moving toward impact, Erin, um, and making sure that that's being documented um, throughout. So team, unfortunately, we've officially ran out of time. And I thank you so much for joining us today. Amber, Brian, and Aaron, we learned so much from you. Thanks for your reflections, your knowledge, and your time. Um, I know it's very limited, um, but thank you for reviewing the incredible work of the Lansing Save Initiative, and thanks to our listeners who joined us today. If you'd like to learn more about the Center for Government Excellence, you can find us at govx.jhu.edu, and everyone have a great day.